Rusty Quill presents. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wondery Plus presents its newest podcast, Deadly Misadventures. Hosted by Justin from Generation Y and Tyler from the Minds of Madness. We'll bring you some of the most terrifying real-life stories of those who came face-to-face with death. Some who lived to tell the tale. While others succumbed to their deadly misadventures. I'm gonna do bad things, do it like it's nothing. Being bad has never felt so good. Doing bad things to you. You know the odds. The stakes are high. Care to take your chance with Lady Luck? To hear all Deadly Misadventure episodes exclusively ad-free, just visit wondery.fm slash deadly to start listening now. Doing bad things to you. Hey everybody, welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club episode for, dude, it's just, it's it's January 2020, welcome to the new year, the new decade, this is our first episode back, and it's, uh, it's about some stuff that I actually, I really like, I've actually been, I've been looking forward to this episode, and it's, uh, and it's, uh, 
the discussion that we're going to be doing here for a few a few months now because I get to talk about the terror, both our random horror recommendation and our literature recommendation are based on the same property that is, um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, AMC's, that's, uh, AMC is a American, uh, cable channel. I don't know if you, you, you foreign listeners, uh, know that, but it's a, uh, TV channel and it's AMC and it's their adaptation of the terror from 2018. And the, um, the book that it was based on by Dan Simmons, which was released in 2007, 2007, man, been a while. 2007, man, I was in Iraq <laughs> for most of that, for most of that fucking year I was in Iraq. I think actually for about six, no, maybe even like seven or so of the months. We were barely home that year. I think we got back in, we got back in like March, I think either March or April, we got back. And then we left again in October. They were like, you're going, you just, we're getting, we're getting every fucking penny out of you, man. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you guys don't know what the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club is, this is not a regular episode. This is uh, just a discussion of the recommendations that I give out um, at the beginning of every episode each month. And um, it's just a, it's an informal, off the cuff dis- discussion of, of stuff that I like and that I don't like. And you don't have to listen to it to understand the West Side Fairy Tales any better, but hopefully it gives you a better understanding of of me and what I what I like to see in horror and stuff. And and, and just you know, this is a conversation, so uh, obviously it's a little one sided now that you're listening to it. But if you if you disagree with me, if you agree with me, uh, or you just want to, or, or you think I didn't make a point well enough, or you have a point you want to make yourself, please go to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club on. Facebook. It's a uh, a closed discussion group. Uh, we let everybody in. The only questions you have to answer are: Do you like reading? And are you a robot? <laughs> and then we'll 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 pack you on in with everybody else. But um, yeah, just pop over there. And uh, for anything that I talk about today, even um, the what I've what I've recently watched section that's going to come first, hop over there. Give me your hot takes, your 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 agreements, your disagreements, and uh, and say hi. You can also talk to us at WS Fairy Tales on Twitter. We're on Instagram, West Side Fairy Tales. Go to all those. Tell me I'm an idiot, and I'll I'll have a conversation with you. I really don't mind being called out on these opinions, and these are all just opinions, right? Even if I say something very strongly, uh, you know, I'm just another guy. So. Uh, don't, don't feel like you have to like something because I like it or that you should not like something because I don't like it. I have a lot of unpopular opinions on, on media properties too. So don't get, don't get butthurt. Some people get butthurt and then they go leave me a bad review. Like, ah, shit, I guess I'm going to go back and change my opinion on things because you gave me a bad review. The fuck? Uh, and I cuss. So, um, just, you you gotta live with that. So, um, yeah, I'm going to start this off by talking about something I watched recently. I'm going to talk about two things I watched recently, one of which was fucking amazing, and the other one of which was so, is so bad, I want to warn you against wasting any money to go see it. Uh, because it, there's this problem in the horror community where uh, people are o- overly supportive of horror, um, and it's, it's actually really fucking irritating, because it's like, stop telling people that things are good that are really, really bad. You can say you enjoy it, 
you know, but like if it's schlock, just admit that it's schlock or it's fucking absolute like dreck or it's just a bad fucking movie. Just say that it's a bad movie, but you liked it anyway, because there is so much in the horror community. So many of these 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 so-called reviewers and stuff that uh, they 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 go to these different properties. Right. And they. They listen to them or they watch them or they read them and they're not good or they're really just very mediocre. But then the review you'll get like, man, this is this is Stephen King at his best. Scariest book yet. It's like, dude, it's not even a fucking horror title. (laughs) It's just by Stephen King. I swear to God, if you look close, if you look hard enough, you're going to find somebody is going to be like King's scariest novel yet about. uh, And it's the book that he wrote about his his kids playing uh playing in the little league <laughs> oh my god but anyway yeah, i just want to talk about stuff because I, I feel like uh you get too fair of a shake sometimes in the horror community there's a lot of there's a lot of ass kissing that goes along i, I feel like most of these reviewers are are really just really they're 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 too much they're too much of a fan for their own good you know what i'm saying and they, they don't just they don't call stuff out and if you don't call stuff out it never gets better. You know what I'm saying? And like when people are like, hey, I want to get into horror and you're like, oh, yeah, the first horror movie you should watch is like Phantasm 5. It's like fucking awesome. Like that is that is so wrong. You shouldn't. That shouldn't even be the first Phantasm movie you see. You all know what's going on. Uh, and it's just it's an objectively Phantasm 5 is an objectively bad movie. It's uh it, it it's weirdly shot it's got a lot of terrible green screen in it uh the the plot makes no fucking sense but i love it i i love i love fucking phantasm 5 start to finish because i've seen all the other phantasms uh except for two because i watched them all on joe bob briggs uh 2018 christmas special uh which i actually watched this year yeah you should, you should if you don't know about joe bob briggs hit google up and just just really take it in. Uh, he's he's a great he's a great uh, reviewer. He's not like super hard on it. He gives like good reviews for stuff, but it, his his reviews make sense because he tells you about all the parts of it that are bad going into it. Like this is a ridiculous film, you know. Two stars. Joe Bob says check it out, and that's how you can be supportive of something without you know just like pretending like it's the fucking next coming of God <laughs> when it's not. Um, but speaking of kissing ass, uh, I recently saw the lighthouse by, uh, Robert Eggers and it is, uh, perfect. (laughs) Fucking, I swear to God, it might be the best movie I have ever seen start to finish. It's, it's insanely good. Uh, and I'm not saying that lightly. I don't, I don't, I really do not throw that out very often. Um, but like, as far just as far as movies go, it and especially as far as horror movies go, it was just like a nonstop assault of just like being uneasy as fuck and then actually terrified at certain points. Like you get done with that movie and you're gonna leave feeling fucking gross. Like if you want, like there are multiple different types of horror fans. Some horror fans are like, if this movie is not four teenagers being cut to death by a serial killer. This is not a horror movie, and this is not for me. So, yeah, if you want, there are no, there are actually, no, fuck that. There are titties in, this, in, 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 in the lighthouse there. 
they're not the kind you want to touch, but there's some boobs. There's some boobs, there's some butts. There's actually like a weirdly large amount of fan service for both boys and girls in this film. And uh, uh, <laughs> when I said for boys, I actually meant gay boys too <laughs> in my head. <laughs> there's uh, there's fan service of boys and girls, which is that, that, that'll, that'll cover everybody. Um, and, uh, it's fucking wild, dude. It stars, um, oh, Robert, Robert Pattinson, who is just fucking amazing. And then also, uh, Willem Dafoe. And there's basically no other characters. There's, there's a, a female character sort of that's there for like a half a second, has no, no speaking lines and is really not even technically in the movie. Probably like, I don't want to spoil anything too, 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 too much because this is not, this is a, a spoiler free section of the show because especially this is a new property. You should really try to go and see it. If you can, we actually had to go see it at the, uh, the underground theater in Charleston, West Virginia. Cause we were in town for, for Christmas, obviously. And, uh, we, we saw it. If you ever make it to Charleston, West Virginia, and you absolutely should go, it's a fucking beautiful town. Uh, you gotta go to Taylor books downtown on uh, on Capitol street. And it is like an old, nice like it's an old wonderful bookstore with a coffee shop in it and obviously they have like live music but they also have a uh an art gallery there and then actually if you go through the art gallery and you know where to go uh there's a little staircase in the like the far back of it that you go down and then there's an underground theater that seats maybe 20 i think i counted the seats and it's about like 24 28 people i think total can fit down there it might be more but i don't think so it's really, really small. It's like four rows deep, and I think about six-ish seats wide. Uh, and it was it was the best, the best um, viewing experience I've had for any any movie really in my life. Like I didn't realize how much better a small theater is for watching movies, especially I feel like horror movies, because you know when you like you don't you do not see packed theaters for horror movies anymore it's not it's not a thing that you run into unless it's like you know it chapter one or two or whatever the fuck or like maybe like hereditary on opening weekend maybe but you know that that's because those the typical theater has something like a hundred fucking seats and you know it's it's hard to fill all those up there's not that many people that want to go see a horror movie at that specific time at the day that you're actually going to fill the whole thing up. And so, uh, even then, you know, you're still in a very big room. Um, it's, it's really non intimate. You know what I mean? You have like, especially nowadays you have these big chairs and you know, they, 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 they fold out and stuff and that's nice and it's comfy and it's like a great way to watch like an action movie. But like this theater that I went to old school, I think they had flip down. Some of the seats were actually, yeah, although they were all old school flip down stadium seats with the cushions on top of them. And you're right next to people and everyone's super close. The ceiling is maybe seven feet high. You know what I mean? And the risers go up into it. And so like you're really just packed in there. And so all of the small reactions that you miss when you're in a larger theater are right there. And they're very, very powerful and stuff. So, you know, like uh, we were a few seats down from some lady and she just goes, Oh my God, <laughs> you know what I mean? During a scene, you're like, yeah, I felt, I felt that. And like, you can hear like the subtle, like little nervous laughter and stuff. And the, 
the kind of moving of cloth when everyone starts getting uncomfortable. And it was really just such an incredible, incredible experience. Um, and it made the movie like fly by because it, it was just, you were really there. It was much more like theater. Uh, if you've never been to the theater, uh, which everyone should try to go. I know it sounds fucking weird and snobbish and goofy, but you don't have to go to fucking uh, New York City and pay $125 to go see a theater show. You can, I guarantee you, if you live in or near a major city, they're going to have some sort of playhouse. Just like spend 20 bucks and go see a local, a local, you know, presentation of like the birdcage or something. Everyone's always doing the birdcage. Or uh, Death of a Salesman, whatever the fuck. Uh, if Book of Mormon comes to town, go check that out. Especially the touring shows are usually pretty good too. Uh, in that, it was, it was very similar to that, where you know everybody, it's much more alive, and you really feel like caught up in the in the in the feelings and the emotions. Like I, I'm, I fully plan on going to that movie theater every time we come back in town too, because it's an indie theater, so they play whatever the fuck uh, <laughs> they want to. You. You're not going to go there and see a screening of Avengers Endgame, but you will be able to see some random shit like the movie uh, Parasite. Obviously, The Lighthouse, which is in like 15 theaters in Kentucky where I live, and then just completely fucking gone. Like the next day, just completely gone. Um, but I, I loved I loved that movie. And uh, just, to, just to describe it, the, the, the premise of the film is there's two men. Uh, a young man and an old man. The old man's played by Willem Dafoe. The young man's played by Robert Pattinson. And uh, it's about them at a lighthouse uh, off the coast of Wales, which is based on a real lighthouse. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, and it's also based off of a real event in real life. What happened? And I can tell you the real life event because it's not. It it doesn't happen in the movie. Uh, in the real life event, um, two men were working the lighthouse that had a known. They, they were known for having a very bad working relationship and there was only two men that would ever man the lighthouse at a time. So, you know, you had one guy sleep during the day, the other guy was asleep during the night and you would, you would make sure that the, that the light stayed on and that the fog horn stayed operational and whatever, you know, if people came by the Island, you'd have to be able to signal them down so you could get like uh, supplies and stuff. So, during this, and these are like one month rotations. During this one month rotation, the other guy of this this team that knew that they uh, that people knew didn't really get along died uh, in a freak accident that left his body badly damaged. That you know the other guy was like, "Oh fuck!" You know now everyone's gonna think I did it. So he sort of like buried him or something like that outside, but like in a very shallow way. And during their month long tour, a gale blew up. Uh, into the into the Gulf there. This is you know off the coast of of Wales or whatever. So this is like the English Channel, the mouth of the English Channel or whatever. So it's it's a gigantic empty space and there's a storm, so they can't get relieved. So this guy is trapped on this island with his dead body, and the body apparently actually blew up out of the ground because the waves are hitting this. The waves are huge, twenty foot swells hitting this like rocky island in the middle of nowhere. Um, they're hitting this, this, this thing and they knock the body up out of the shallow grave and it was plastered against the side of the lighthouse and its arm was blowing in the wind in a way that made the guy think that like the corpse was beckoning to him. And because they stayed overly long because of the storm, um, the, uh, the supplies, the dude's supplies started running low and, uh, he was basically starving, sick, the, uh, 
the 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 actual lighthouse house underneath the 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 where the beacon is there's an actual house that they had to live in that was starting to like collapse in and uh basically the dude was flat fucking nuts and like very unwell for the rest of his life <laughs> and, and uh that became known as the the whatever that lighthouse is called disaster you can look it up on google it's it, it's fairly interesting uh the movie itself um the the two characters have a similar relationship. The one guy is uh, it's his first rotation ever. The other dude has like been doing it for twenty some odd years, and it is just fucking wild, man. Like I, it's 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 hard to describe without going into spoilers uh, because it it's just like a mind fuck from start to finish. And there's uh, it's pretty funny sometimes, actually. There's a lot of funny parts to it. Um, it's very, very dark, very sexual, very violent, um, and it, it it it's like a, a big treatise on like sanity and stuff. Uh, and it's got a real like people say this, but this is it's actually got a Lovecraftian uh, American Gothic horror feel to it. You know, Poe or 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 um, what's his name that I just said, Lovecraft. <laughs> Or, you know, like some people are going slowly going insane and, you know, there's 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 possible uh, eldritch influence or, or some sort of like secret sea magic. And um, it's just it's just incredible. And I really cannot recommend it enough. You, it, it, I would say it's a must see. And uh, eventually I'll go into a much lo- longer review of it um, because I'm definitely going to recommend it for something. I might I might recommend it later this later this uh, this year. And and just boot something else off because there's I, I want to talk about the lighthouse more than I want to talk about almost anything else, including including the terror. Um, but I'll, but I'll leave it at that. Go check it out for sure. Uh, the other thing I saw that you absolutely should not waste your time with is the Grudge remake. It is the most boring fucking movie I think I've ever gone to see in in my life. <laughs> I do not fall asleep during movies and I almost, this one almost took me out and it's a horror movie with jump scares and like, I'm not being, I'm not being stuck up, you know, cause I know like, uh, it's definitely like a, a broad appeal. Like any audience could, could come see this and get a few spooks out of it. Dude, some lady brought like four 10 uh, year olds to the showing of this and they were fucking bored. <laughs> like this might've been their fifth horror movie they've ever seen in their life it was it, it it's just like unreal how un like there was no tension in the film like none <laughs> you know like it, it, it the perfect opposite of like eggers directing where somehow you're you're just really like tense the entire time like every scene in the lighthouse is like having you know the the, the sharp point of a needle just underneath the front of your your fingernail and no one's pushing yet, but you can feel the sharpness of it kind of scratching your skin. That's that's Eggers filmmaking. And then the dude that made and he's credited. He was so fucking bad. I can't remember his name. He's credited with uh, directing and writing the film. And it is so just like dull from from scene to scene. Uh, and, and, and there's like the makings of a real plot somewhere in there. Like I didn't hate it. I didn't like hate it, hate it. It was just utterly fucking boring because somehow the dude just could not get anything to work right. 
they, he broke like some of the most basic rules of horror, which you know, and I don't go, I go, I don't go in for rules, but they are there as a guideline. If you don't know what you're doing, which he clearly didn't, for for keeping yourself uh, on track, and 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 you know, like you can literally boilerplate out a basic bitch fucking Bloomhouse movie as long as you follow like three simple rules. Have one person who is uh the main character and like things happen to and around them uh and and and, like make make it so that there's a plot around them (laughs) it's just it's just basic writing it's not even a horror rule uh but do that this this movie tries to do something that you could do if you're way you have to be at the top of your game. It juggles four timelines uh, with four like main victimy type people. Basically, every family that moves into the house. If you're not familiar with The Grudge, uh, it's based off of a uh, Japanese movie called Ju-On, which came out like either like early 2000s, late 90s, I think, um, and it was remade in America sometime I think around like 2003, 2004, because it was when I was in high school. Uh, and it was just a, it was like a, a fuck it movie. You know what I mean? Like the ring was good and the ring was actually legitimately fucking scary uh, to me at least, uh, especially when I was in high school. I, actually, I was in middle school when the ring came out. And so people, we actually, we still had fucking phones that connected to the wall and people would call each other and be like seven days. Like, yeah, scary. And then when the grudge came out, um, it was less good, but you could still do that. Noise that the grudge lady makes and these scare girls. It's like one of those. That's what the point of the horror movie is. They're like, all right, this ain't gonna be that good, but you can bring a girl to this movie and she'll get scared and maybe hug you and you know, like scary date movie night. It's it's a very basic thing. Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake that came out around that time. Same sort of deal. You know, you it, that it, it's that's the point. That like the other rule that it doesn't follow is you don't show your monster right away (laughs) so and especially if your monster is not inherently threatening which uh i think her name's ukiyo um from the from the grudge she's not a scary person she's a wet girl with long hair and like a pale face like (laughs) and they show her in daylight in the first two minutes of the movie and like you're like wait why <laughs> so, so you're not scared of her, you know, uh, and she's supposed to be like a even in the original movie, which I, I appreciated. My 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 fiance Sam's like, no, that movie is fucking stupid. I have fond memories of it, but I think it was just because we scared the shit out of our friends uh, after the movie came out. But it is just this remake is just stunningly, stunningly dull. Um, it it doesn't have. There's a main character who's a woman. Uh, she's a, a police detective who has no detective skills. I, I like the actress. The actress was she was solid. I, you could there. <laughs> there's a moment sometimes when you're watching a bad movie with a good actor in it, and she is definitely one of those good actors actresses. Uh, just just working with the shit she was given because she's like, I'm fucking putting this on my reel. I don't give a shit. I was a lead in a movie, and bitch, you're not fucking stopping me. I'm getting another goddamn lead in a movie somewhere. <laughs> and it was very much that feel. So she did her best, but it was just fucking confusing as hell. 
and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of you know you don't don't force yourself to get to the next kill that that's like that that's the that's like the third rule in my mind or at least one of the three rules don't telegraph your kills unless you're trying to make like a comedy or like a, a campy slasher you know what i mean like you can you can foreshadow that there's a difference between foreshadowing and telegraphing like tell you know what a telegraph like telegraphing a punch like okay well, that that i get it just just do it just fucking do it just fucking do it you know what i mean cuz especially if there's no tension so there's a guy's like, oh, I need to cut my eyes out. And then he's like, oh, I cut out my eyes. No one knows how he did it. He's wearing handcuffs. He shouldn't be able to, but he did. Um, and it was just, it was just a fucking goofy. It was a goofy fucking movie and it was boring and it wasn't fun. I wish it was shit. If it was the worst fucking movie and it was like hilariously bad, I would have been so happy. I don't care. I will watch any schlock movie as long as it's, as long as it's fun or, or if it has heart to it. You know what I mean? Like, like I was talking about before, Phantasm Five, bad movie, tons of heart. Like literally, it was a movie that they shot over the course of something like ten years, uh, bit by bit as they made up money for it, and then released like basically like for the fans to give uh, a series that no major studio would touch. Uh, you know, at this point in the franchise, uh, just to give give people closure on it and kind of like end. The story because the phantasm movies actually do have a contiguous plot one through one through five i think there i think there might be a six now but no one who knows maybe 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 there is maybe there isn't i don't know how they would do it because angus scrim who plays the tall man is dead um and you can't have a fucking phantasm without a tall man or a reggie and i don't know reggie's getting up there in years too he's kind of an older guy I digress. I'm talking about a completely different movie. Uh, all things aside, just do not do not bother with the grudge. Don't give it any. Don't 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 reward that bad behavior with money. <laughs> yeah, either go try to find go try to find the lighthouse and watch that, or just wait for it to come out. It, it's not worth theater tickets for the theater experience. Will not help you. Uh, the best part about being in a theater for that movie was when it ended, and some guy behind me said. Well, that was a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I'm not even kidding, man. Oh, that's the one thing I miss about about bad horror movies uh, in movie theaters. But you, you, like I said, you don't you don't really get it that often because all those kind of guys stay home. They're like me. <laughs> so into our discussion of our uh, our stories today, we're going to be talking about the terror. Uh, I'm going to start with a discussion of Dan Simmons' novel, but I'm probably going to pop back and forth between that and the TV show fairly constantly just because, in part for part, I'm going to want to talk about both things. But uh, just to get into it and, and some basic uh, housekeeping stuff. So The Terror is written by Dan Simmons. It was published in 2007. It is a fictionalized account of Sir John Franklin's doomed expedition of 1845 to 18. 18- Forty-eight, uh, in which all 129 men uh, that set out with him from England died. The Franklin expedition um, was one of many expeditions that were common in the what they call the Age of Sail, which is like kind of that that, that mid, mostly like like 1600s to 1800s, you know, or maybe even further back, but like 
Magellan and all them and, and Christopher Columbus may burn in hell fucking uh, all them dudes trying to like find different new places in America for the kings and queens of Europe uh, and thereby creating some of the most disastrous foreign policy incidents uh, in the in the history of mankind. <laughs> Age of Sail was uh, it was a nightmare, but you know. America wouldn't be here without it. So you win some, you you lose some, you lose some. <laughs> America would be here without it. It'd be a completely different uh, country with, with with its own native peoples in charge of it, probably. So I I'm just gonna back off of that one. But uh, during this, uh, you know, Magellan was the first to circumnavigate the Earth, obviously, uh, and he did that by going over to America and then. Because the seas north of North America are are functionally speaking, well, at the time, not anymore, uh, were all frozen polar ice. You had you couldn't go up there because the it, it's in sailing through ice is the hardest thing to sail through. Uh, it's actually easier to sail through like major storm areas like the tropics, which they eventually went through, than it is to try and sail uh, through ice ice flow areas. Not obviously you can't sail through the the fucking glaciers. I'm not stupid, but uh, I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. So what he did was go down um, America and around the tip of South America, up, and then across the ocean, um, which took fucking I think like years. Like the, 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 that that you would be gone for like a year or so uh, while you're stopping in all these ports and stuff, and you're dropping off this, you're picking up that, and so that that. That course, which is how they tried to get to India without going around the Horn of Africa, was um, very inefficient. It's also how you get to China and stuff like that. So uh, uh, you'd either have to go to China or you'd have to take the Silk Road and walk across fucking Asia. That's the only two ways to get to China from from Europe, basically. But they discovered as they as they sort of like made their maps that 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 there was a, a theorized passage because of I think it was like actually how the ice formed and how the waters moved and stuff that even though they haven't, obviously they didn't have any maps of the areas North of Canada and uh, West of Greenland where they wanted to try to go up. They, they knew that there had to be a, a, an open water passage, a massive open water passage sufficient enough for ships to fit through North of the North of uh Canada, and that would be the Northwest Northwest Passage, as some people have heard about, um, which does exist. Uh, it doesn't exist year round. Um, it, it's only open during the summer months, and you have to hit it right, just just perfectly to get to it, because large chunks of the Arctic, um, the Arctic cap, freeze over, and that is what happened to. The Franklin expedition. So the expedition set out in 1845 um, and was last seen by Europeans in uh, Baffin Bay, which is the gigantic chunk of water between Greenland and the uh, the northern archipelagos of uh, of Canada and stuff. So that's all you know. It's all a bunch of indiscernible at times, like rocky pebble beaches and pebble beach islands and then ice. And so 
they were basically trying to circumnavigate these things via brute force, and already a lot of expeditions had gone up there. They're extremely expensive. You had to have ships that had like fucking six feet, like literally six feet of of, of different layered over timbers in their hulls to crack the ice. Otherwise, the, the ships would just shatter by repeat stress or just by hitting something that was way too hard. And there was also a lot of problems with heat. Uh, wood is not good in in ice. It it freezes and snaps and breaks like anything else does when it gets when it gets cold. But it wood's a lot more susceptible to it, and there's a lot more pieces of it. And so, like, just the 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 ex- expeditions were extremely risky for the lives of the people that went on them, and they were expensive. But anybody could basically get on these ships, and so they had no they had no real shortage of like volunteers because I mean, otherwise you were in. You're just in fucking in, in in England, Victorian England, which sucks balls anyway. Like, <laughs> fucking, what? All you can do is just wait for a pox to take you, or you starve. You know, this is uh, this is very much uh, Dickens, Charles Dickens, England at the time. Uh, and Charles Charles Dickens was actually alive and would go on to write a, a play, I believe, or maybe even a short story about the doomed Franklin expedition because he personally knew. Uh, the lady John Franklin, um, Sir John Franklin, who led the expedition, he was the master and commander. Uh, he left a wife behind. So anyway, um, after they after they see last people see them in Baffin Bay, they stop at an island, Beachy Island, for a winter because no matter what happens, when the winter comes in the Arctic, you're done sailing. <laughs> like, so what you have to do is you have to find, you have to have your, your ice masters. You have people that actually like see the ice and they know how it's going to work. Um, they're basically, you know, hydrologists of the, of the Victorian area or of the Victorian era. They, they watch how the ice is going to move and they, they tell you where to put your boat so that the ice, once it starts freezing up, doesn't destroy your boat because the, the entire sea freezes at the top and the ice gets something like six or seven feet deep or more in places and there's actually because ice is one of the few things that expands when it gets cold or water is one of the few things that expands when it gets cold what happens is not only does the sea freeze but it it creates lateral pressure along along its surface and so parts of the ice will actually explode and shoot up and create pressure ridges so there's large like six seven fifteen foot tall ice dams just in the middle of everything and that ice could also just crush your ship it'll just destroy your fucking ship and then you're done and uh so they 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 stopped at beachy island for a year and then they were good and if you read the book in the book it suggested that they're like we should go back because we're gonna fucking die if we keep going on and john franklin who was uh, something of a of a well known embarrassment in England? He was he was their version of you know a celebrity at the time actually, and and not for good for good reason. The uh, the Admiralty at the time was uh, a very very political position. Um, it had you, you know um, Britain at this time was still a an actual monarchy, uh, although they were a parliamentary monarchy. You know post Magna Carta, but they still did have kings and queens and. So the 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 admiralty and all of the uh, the military, you know, people also had pseudo political appointments and stuff, especially during the oh, what do you call it? The imperialistic efforts 
of Britain. They would be put in charge of local local governments and stuff. And he, John Franklin, was put in charge of a government, I think, in uh, in Australia it was. Somewhere, somewhere in the Pacific uh, where it's really hot. And he pissed off some local scuzzball, uh, scuzzball British subjects who kind of like ran things there for real. And they're like, all right, you know, mind your, mind your manners. You're, you're just a little fucking, a little puppet boy. And they, he crossed them and they just embarrassed him and completely, almost completely destroyed his career. Uh, and so at the time, you know, he went. Um, he, he was sort of a, of a national embarrassment and he wanted to, to pull it out so that when he came back, uh, he could, you know, kind of regain some of his lost prestige and honor. But, um, that, that wasn't to be the case. They, they traveled South, um, from Beachy Island, which is a fairly, a fairly large ish Island that was giving them uh shelter from, from the ice. I mean, fairly largest, I think it's the size of a state. Uh, and then from there they went south, uh, toward, toward the upper, um, upper limits of mainland Canada, which is, you know, still, I mean, we're talking about flat tundra up there. It's, 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 it's extraordinarily inhospitable. Um, and, uh, from there on they got stuck. They got frozen for one winter and then they were frozen in for two winters. So for two winters, these, uh, boats, the Erebus and the Terror, um, that make up the Franklin expedition and there's 129 men between the two of them are stuck in ice south west of King William Island, which has actually put them directly in the path of all of the ice flows coming down off of the off of the Arctic subcontinent. You know what I'm talking about? Like the gigantic rotating glacier of pack ice. And it basically it locked them in and it slowly destroyed their ships. Uh, they ran out of food. John Franklin died, I think, the first year, maybe no, maybe the second year. I think he died the second year that they were stuck in. Um, and then kind of from then on, everybody else just started going really quickly. And there was problems with their food stores, uh, being poorly soldered. And so, like some of their food, a lot of their food was like either rotting or 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 insufficient, um, and and they basically just ran out of resources uh, and started. Eventually, uh, they 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 resorted to cannibalism in some camps. People died of tuberculosis, uh, spinal tuberculosis. They died of pneumonia. They died of starvation, and it was a uh, it was generally all bad. So. Um, after they, after they abandoned the ships, there's, there's little, uh, scene of anyone. And basically the entire story of the John Franklin expedition has been put together over like the next 150 some odd years after it. So, you know, people would start going up there and I'm talking about this cause it's just utterly fascinating and the books and the, the movie are, are based on it. Um, so over the next few decades, they send, you know, these less basically equipped to the same degree. Uh, ships up there there actually was a rescue ship in the area but by in the area i mean like 600 miles away uh just the same year that they were they were in but the ice was so bad that they couldn't get in to get them they would have had to walk across you know the frozen sea and, and so that was impossible and then uh they started sending expeditions into into the actual canadian mainland and then walking up to where they thought they would be where they where they would have to have been um 
And so they started finding little bits of the Franklin expedition, a little bit here, a little bit there, you know. And it was like a body here, a cairn here with like a message. This is like all all well, John Franklin, nineteen or eighteen forty six. And then like they started finding evidence that the the ships had been abandoned. And then they started finding, you know, after several decades, they actually started finding the camps uh, that they went to after they abandoned the ships because the ships were fucked. And they're like, the only way that we're going to live is we're going to get out of the ship and walk 600 some odd miles across the tundra, pulling sledges full of tents, (laughs) tents and wet canvas uh, down into the Canadian mainland. Hopefully we get deep enough in there that we can run into some, uh, some friendly natives, uh, Inuit, um, the, the, it's the, none of it people, uh, are in that area. And I'm not really familiar with their with their language, and it doesn't really go into it too much in the in the book. So you know, if I if I if I speak incorrectly, and you're you're from that area, please reach out and correct me. I'm, my bad. Um, but anyway, they, they, that that wasn't successful, and so they found the camps that they had made, and uh, and the camps were bad. They found bones with cut marks and tool marks along them, which suggested at cannibalism. And some of the bones were even found to be what they call pot polished. And that means that they were actually boiled for, to get all the juices out of the, uh, out of the calcium, you know, structure of the bone and then drink that as a soup and heating them in a pot full of water will actually smooth the sides of the bone where it rubs against the pot. And, you know, it was real bad. It was real bad. <laughs> and so the, uh, the searches actually continued. It, it became a, a national thing, actually, in Britain. A lot of songs were written about it. People painted paintings of it. It, it, was, an, it was the national tragedy for years. I mean, obviously, Charles Dickens made a play about the fucking thing, like the Charles Dickens. Um, but it wasn't until 2014 that the Erebus was finally found, sunk off King William's Island, uh, they found that with sonar, and then the terror itself was found south of King William Island in Terror Bay, as they call it, in 2016. Which is kind of cool, because that is the year where AMC ordered up the terror show. And so I'll get, I'll get into the, uh, the plot of Dan Simmons' book and the terror movie now, um, or show. So... The Terror is obviously about all those events that I, I went into, and basically Dan Simmons trying to kind of interpret what may have happened between the crews and stuff, um, also while, you know, kind of just describing what, what's, what's going on with them and, and, and their starvation and stuff and trying to kind of get behind the idea of, you know, who would, be, who would be trying to mutiny and how do they keep these guys from mutinying? And also there is a, uh, a, a, a monster, a shapeless, formless monster of snow that sort of semi resembles a polar bear. The only, the only permanent features they ever, you ever see on it are its two black eyes and it sort of forms and unforms and it's like a demon, a shapeless demon of the ice, the thing. And uh, it's slowly but surely picking off their sailors one by one um, and obviously and not really eating them, like chewing them to pieces, cutting them apart. But uh, sometimes it, it rearranges bodies with the top part and the bottom part, you know, of one, the top part of one man and the bottom part of another, like kind of like held together and refrozen so that people find him standing up and they're like, holy shit, this is the wrong body. And so um, 
it, it goes through the things, and it, it, it most folly, most closely follows the captain of the terror, uh, Captain Crozier, Captain James Fitzgerald Moira Crozier. <laughs> I think I say his name. He's got a fucking long ass name. Who's a uh, a drunk Irishman, uh, quite literally. Um, he gets control of the terror and, and the entire expedition shortly after the death of Sir John Franklin, who dies trying to hunt the monster when people don't yet understand that it's a uh, an actual supernatural entity. They still think it's a polar bear of sorts, and they're setting traps, and, and, uh, and, and Sir John is killed and dropped under the ice, and his head is crushed when the thing eats him. And the other captain is... Uh, Captain James Fitzjames, um, and he is the captain of the Erebus. And so, the uh, the book is really good. Uh, it it's a solid it's a solid book. Um, and it's one of one of uh, Dan Simmons like weird like historical horrors that he does. Like the guy Simmons is just a fucking a nut man. Like I don't know how he does it. He he's just in multiple genres super casually doing those genres better than other people who only do those genres do them. Like, he's just like, oh, I'm going to fuck around and do uh, sci-fi for a while. Here's the Hyperion Cantos. It's the best thing you've ever read. I'm like, yeah, it, it is the best sci-fi book I've ever read in my life. Um, and then you have The Terror, which is uh, probably one of the best historical horrors I've ever written in my life. I think I like The Historian better. Uh, but the book is, the book is solid. It's one of those, it's a very, a slow burny kind of book, which is weird considering people are fucking dying literally the entire time. And I think, I think what, what he does doesn't do good that, uh, or doesn't do well that, um, that, uh, David Kedjganich who, who wrote the adaptation of it for um amc is he's a little too unfocused uh i think with um when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. With, with Dan Simmons' interpretation of, of the events of the John Franklin expedition, I think he gave a little too much time to everybody. Uh, there, there's a lot of going into other people's like ideas and motivations and stuff, and you kind of get a better feel for the crew. But honestly, um, and and a lot of this I think is is uh, what why it's better in the show than in the book is just because in the show you can convey so much more with just a little bit of music and and you know an actor just fucking acting their heart out. Uh, than you can in a book because in the book you have to you know you have to be explicit and you have to say everything that you want someone to notice you know which it's always another word and the economy of words is the most difficult thing to juggle and so while while Simmons is making the crew this really living breathing body of men with its own and you you kind of come to understand that the crew itself as a as a as an organization has like its own super ego like that that encapsulates the mood of everybody and there's people vying inside the crew to sort of change that 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 will in order to like support what they want you know what i'm saying and and like at the beginning of it sir john franklin is he's the heart and soul of the crew everybody loves him everybody thinks he's just he he fucking walks on water and stuff and you know he's a big religious guy and he gives sermons and stuff but when he dies or even before he dies you know uh his his own captains are trying to like sway the the feelings and the crew and stuff and and sway his own feelings but to be like hey we should not continue on with this expedition but it's a much more proper and and direct you know and and there's a very british feel about the whole thing or at least a an interpretively british feel where it's uh there's a lot of go along to get along and a lot of, uh, you know, what, what I'm doing, I'm doing this to be a proper gentleman. I am an officer and I am a gentleman and a gentleman doesn't do this and a gentleman doesn't do that. And I, I love that shit and I don't know why I love it, but I fucking love it. Uh, but with, uh, with Sir John, once he dies, um, there's a vacuum that's created and, 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 and it's, it's like there's like a pole in the middle of, of the crew's like spiritual mentality and it keeps getting shifted with each death, you know, especially made of, of major players in the circle makes it easier for certain, especially certain bad actors as, as portrayed by uh, Cornelius Hickey, a caulker's mate caulk being, you know, caulk like in a bathroom. That's what they do. He just goes around and he, he shoves caulk between, <laughs> between loose boards, which is, I, I swear to God has to be a fucking joke because he's also, uh, he's also a, uh, uh, not gay. I don't really think, I think he just likes to fuck people and he's a sociopath. So like, it doesn't matter, but he, he does like fuck dudes on the crew. And, um, there's also another gay couple that's on the crew that is not, they are, they are literally the two most wholesome human beings. And when they, they die, everyone dies, <laughs> all 129 people save one, uh, which is an affectation that Simmons put in. They all die. And, um, yeah, 
uh, the the other gay couple they're they're fucking amazing uh and and I won't get too too into them but um the the story is 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 has really got that feel but Simmons has to spend a little too much time getting all of the other crew members their their just desserts and because you can only kind of focus on sort of focus on one of them and there's a hundred fucking 29 of these guys and you you really do know at least like 40 or 50 of them before the end uh it, it just never quite quite works um it, it does it, it it compared to the show i'll say i like I, I really do recommend the terror as a book it's fucking awesome um but i'm gonna get into the well i'll tell you how the i'll tell you how how the the plot progresses because that's essential into the uh the conversation between the book and the movie most of those things are pretty much shot for shot the same. What's different, uh, well, how the book ends, functionally speaking, is the the crew disintegrates. Uh, a lot of people go mad, people break up, people kill themselves, people kill each other. Cornelius Hickey successfully mutinies for a third time uh, towards the end and actually, actually does manage to mutiny. Uh, only to lead his band of about seven or eight people to to certain death in the uh in in the the Arctic wilderness on the on the the frozen ice plains beside the ship. Um, the monster in the book is a very metaphysical sort of thing, and it's actually it's it's very directly described. It's called the Tunbach, uh, which is apparently a real word in in I think none of it mythology, which is gone into in some degree possibly. Possibly not. I, I didn't do enough research because it's kind of hard to research that stuff because you don't know. I don't know what the fuck to even look for because I know almost nothing about that culture. Um, but but you know, there's there's like a sort of backstory and stuff, and there's a, a god that creates this and a god that creates that, and you find out that Sunbach is basically a vengeance, a spirit of vengeance created by uh, the dead mother of Earth. I think it is to kill like the mother of the sky or something of that nature or vice versa that gets trapped on earth in the physical realm because uh, otherwise he'll end up destroying the entire universe because he'll just slowly but surely actually be able to kill a god. So this thing is just a deathless killing machine that is literally just a spirit trapped in ice. And it, it's, it, it is actually like a very, it's very direct. It's vengeful. It's uh, smart. It understands the traps that the people are setting for it, and it understands the countermeasures that they're taking, the crew are taking against it, and uh, also the measures that they're taking to survive. And it actively, it doesn't just flat out kill them. It makes them despair ahead of their own death by destroying food stores, by uh, killing and sullying fresh meat like if they like like of polar bears and uh, of walruses and stuff and 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 it's actively working against the crew the entire time and it is really like the sort of i think it was written to sort of be the spirit of the hostile arctic wilderness and these white dudes just complete fucking inability to deal with uh just just with the north um and there's a lot more that's gone into with regards to, you know, how ineffective their clothing is. They're wearing wool clothes and they're like, you know, these fucking Inuit people that are up here are fucking idiots. They don't, they don't know shit about shit. But then the Inuit people are like, what in the fuck are you wearing these heavy ass clothes for? Like, dude, just go like, just go fucking butt ass naked under some, under some like 
warm fucking polar bear skins and you'll be like golden but you guys are like just freezing to death sweat soaked you've all got fucking frostbite <laughs> like y'all are fucking idiots um that that whole thing has gone into a lot more and you get so much of the historical detail of what's going on that it it could be a little overwhelming for some people it was even a little overwhelming for me at times where i'm like i don't need to hear about your goddamn fucking stigler's patent stove <laughs> again i get it there's a gigantic 20 ton stove in the middle of this ship that they cook biscuits on that they could be heating the whole thing with but they're not doing that because they're fucking idiots i understand uh which they don't do in the show as much the show kind of it it, it the, the show can show you so much more because of the visual medium and i'm gonna get into the show now too oh actually the ending of it so the story ends with uh, Crozier surviving. He survives in the show. He survives in the book. He's the only survivor of the expedition in both accounts. And in both accounts, he lives on land uh, as a, uh, I think he, he joins the none of it people. And in the book, he becomes uh, like, they call him like a God speaker or something. And they're basically like uh, Bush witches to a degree that kind of go around, they know some healing stuff. They can, they can throw bones and make some prayers. And he, he goes together with the one female member of the cast in, in both the books and the show. Uh, and her name is lady silence. Uh, cause she has her tongue cut out, um, of her own volition and she can't speak. So they move, they live together traveling through the ice and going from place to place. And actually the end of the book, uh, the last, like the epilogue chapters really, are him revisiting the terror and the Erebus uh, years, like six or seven years even, after the end of uh, after the end of the, the the expedition, after everyone's pretty much dead, and he gets almost killed himself, and she nurses him back to health, and by the time he's actually able to walk around again, oh, his entire crew is dead. Uh, and so he. He goes and lives with her in the wild and makes a pact actually with the demon thing that killed them. Uh, but that's why Lady Silence has her tongue cut out. It's a part of a pact. The thing eats his tongue too. Um, and their existence up there, because they live with the thing in kind of like adoration of it, keeps the thing from moving further down south out of where it's supposed to be locked up. The white people kill um, her father at the beginning of both the show and the book on accident and when they kill him that gives the spirit enough leeway to get out of sort of its its protection zone and that's when it starts terrorizing the crew um of both ships so that's how it ends in the book um and then i'll go and i'll tell you how it ends in the tear series once i talk about the series so the series is like probably close to fucking perfect. I, I can't seriously. I cannot think of a single error or like there, there's nothing when I watched the tear uh, season one uh, that could have been done better. It is literally almost completely perfect start to finish. And it really just feels so good. And like I said, and I think it's just because they took the book and David Kajganich, who I, I, you can really tell he loved the source material he just distilled down all of the good things about the book, cut off all the fat and like literally left the absolute heart of the story intact and made something 
unbelievably amazing with it. It is, in my estimation, I think the only time I've ever really, really said like, this is way fucking better than the book. It's like mind blowing. And the book is like an eight out of 10 for me, maybe a seven. The series is a flat 10 out of 10. The acting is good. The sets are amazing. The music is wonderful. The writing is fucking perfect. It's just so fucking good, man. It blows my mind. Like I gush, I gush about it. Uh, but the, so in the, in, in the, the AMC show, you much more closely follow just Crozier. Um, and you, you see, like you get a little bit into each and every other person. Like you get to see Thomas Blanky, who is, uh, the ice master. He's a major character in the show and, and the stories. Um, and you get to go Fitz James, uh, and lady silence and, uh, Thomas Goodsir, who is, uh, the ship's, the, the, the ship's last surviving surgeon by the end of the, uh, by the end of the show and the book. Um, and, and, uh, the book, I should also say that like, it's all written differently. Um, there it's written in the past past tense in some parts it's written in present tense in some parts all of dr goodster's parts are literally in his journal so it's a a journalized account of what's going on which is kind of it's a i don't like journals (laughs) it either has to all be the journal you know kind of deal or or it shouldn't all be and and that's probably some of the mistakes that simmons makes is you know when you write no one writes a journal the way that you're going to write a story, usually, especially if that person's not a writer. So you get to parts of Good Sir's journal where he stops being Good Sir and you can kind of just hear Dan Simmons' voice coming through, which is not, it's not an easy thing to do. And even he probably walked, read back through it and saw that part and was like, fuck, I'm not fucking rewriting it. I'm just done. <laughs> like, fuck it. Uh, you know. And just a lot of like a lot of good descriptive language about stuff that I don't think good sir would really care about but they they dis they completely disperse with those storytelling methods and make it a very much uh third person third person real time like all most all movies are no narration and uh not a lot of time in the characters heads so uh which is pretty much how the the story is is really really cerebral uh as far as the character's point of view goes it's a very close third person tale where you're 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 quite literally like right over somebody's shoulder it, and, and you can kind of hear their fucking thoughts tinking around in their head or if they're not just actively thinking them. Um, and so in the show, uh, the onus on that, a lot of time is saved by cutting out all that narration, all that, that, that personal feelings by just having the, the actors just act their fucking asses off. And uh, the cast is led by, um, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Jared Harris, who plays Crozier, and Tobias Menzies as Captain Fitzjames. There's a lot of other... Everybody that's in this show is basically a named actor. If you watch a lot of BBC dramas, you've seen every single one of these guys. Um, Jared Harris is one of my favorite living actors, for sure. He's just fucking incredible. He's amazing in this. He's great in, uh, in Chernobyl. He's in Mad Men. He's Moriarty in uh the the sherlock holmes movies with with robert downey jr and um he's just a, he's a stunning actor and he is literally the heart of the show and he just fucking nails it 
the best part of the show is one of the the most emotional parts, and he's he's keeping his shit together, and uh, he's talking with Thomas Blanky, who's the Ice Master. Blanky gets his leg bitten off by the uh, by the monster, not quite bitten off, but like destroyed by the monster, and so he's got to have like a little, you know, he's got a little peg leg, and he is uh, doing his best to keep up with all the men and stuff, but he's got a peg leg, and this is after they leave the ship, and it starts, his stump gets infected because it hasn't been able to properly heal, and also it's getting friction blisters from the badly designed peg leg, which is also snapping because of the cold. And so he shows them that he's he's infected, and the infection has already eaten up like two, three inches of the bottom of the stump. And... uh. Crozier just turns around like because he can't take he's like we're not leaving you here we're not leaving you here and he shows him and Crozier just turns around and just like grabs his face and like he just sells it like the pain of uh, in Crozier's eyes is just like it's just perfect man and like it's just a moment where you're like damn this movie this this shit's fucking great like you feel you're in there and you feel bad for it and I really just and you know they're, they're in the Arctic waste which is just this flat expanse of rocks everything is washed out and like gray it's it's incredible um and and they had to cut a lot of that stuff out from the book in the book there's insane lightning storms and stuff and you spend a lot of time with some of the 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 traveling the people that travel out away from the camp and they cut most of that uh and and it just ends it, it ends pretty fucking strongly dude and it's it's funny throughout too there's a lot of there's a lot of good hidden jokes that i thought were fucking hilarious uh I won't. I won't tell you those in case you ever go see it because I, I hate explaining a joke out of out of turn unless it's particularly easy to do. But um, the the difference between the ending of the story and the ending of the AMC show is the AMC show's ending is fucking good. It's really it's fucking great. It's perfect actually. Uh, I would say that the ending chapters of the terror are not very fulfilling. Um. Cornelius Hickey, who is an absolute shitheel in the show and in the books, more so even in the books, uh, does not get his comeuppance really in in the book. In the book, he dies just uh, going insane uh, from starvation and hypothermia and then just gets his head eaten, I think it is. Or no, he gets his soul drank out and then maybe his head gets crushed, something like that. And, uh, you know, it's, he's alone and just being a crazy person and it's really not that satisfying, but it does actually explain a historical detail in which he dies in this, this boat sledge that there, there's two dudes that were found in a boat sledge dead. Uh, and it, and it, and it wraps up that actual historical detail in the show. It's completely different. Um, yeah, it, it's much the same in that Harry Goodsir, the Dr. Goodsir, um, and the captain, Captain Crozier get, uh, kidnapped, functionally speaking, by Cornelius Hickey's crew and taken away from the main crew, which is already splitting up into into groups to try to survive on its own, basically. Uh, and Hickey is fully resorted to cannibalism and is basically like bringing people along to fucking eat. And um, Good Sir poisons his own body and just tells Crozier like, Hey, I'm going to fucking die. Cause I'm not dissecting bodies for him. He can do his butchery on his own. And so he, uh, he dies and, um, he gets poisoned and he poisons all of them and they're all really sick. And the, uh, Tunbach, which in the 
show is actually a very physical creature. It looks just like a like a like a almost mentally challenged human being's face on a long necked polar bear body that's massive, and it has man's hand hands that are like half a human being's hands and half like a bear's paws. And they're they're he's long and gangly and and he's not really well shown throughout the entire show. Rule one: you see a little bit here, you see an arm, you see the thing itself like running in the distance through like smoke and fog and stuff, and you like see people getting grabbed. You see the face every once in a while, like, and like eat somebody. But by the time you finally see it in person, you're like, this thing is fucking stupid looking. But it was just super dangerous. Like it's just a dumb animal, but it's like a dumb sacred animal. And that might sound like it's lackluster, but it's actually quite great. Anyway, uh, Hickey thinks that he's going to become this thing's new god, and so he cuts his own tongue out and offers it to it, and the thing just fucking eats him. So, <laughs> I, I love that part. Um, but this, uh, this, this eventually ends up uh, killing the Toonbach. He gets poisoned by these people, and, uh, and he dies. And so the ending is is quite different. Um, there's a there's a few similar parts that are hit. Um, Crozier is taken in by Lady Silence. She nurses him back to health, uh, and then they go much sooner and end up checking out the camps. And he sees that even though um, his the good men survived, even they ended up resorting to cannibalism by the end. And uh, he manages to find just one of them alone dying with golden chains stapled into his face uh and he says no hope no hope think and then dies and that's that's pretty much the end of it uh lady silence um says basically that she's failed and she's not allowed around the normal inuit people so he just completely bails on her she just leaves him uh in an inuit uh village and then he just um goes native and marries oh or you know whatever begins a relationship with uh a woman in the the village it's implied that he has a child because there's a boy with him and the last scene is extraordinarily powerful it's just him having like and it's 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 just cut to you know what basically and it's him sitting over an ice hole waiting for a, a ring seal to surface for air so that he can plunge a spear into it and eat. And it's just him with sitting there like right over it and, and the, the child next to him. And he's just waiting and waiting and waiting. And the, the camera just pans out and that's how the show ends. It's fucking one of the most beautiful last shots ever. And it, it just hammers home the just starkness and like hopelessness of his situation uh but this is like the best of a bad situation you know for him he's, he's got a wife which is something that he's been pining for sort of he's he's in love with a woman who does not love him back is is, is one of his minor character arcs but um that's how it ends and man it's just it's good I, like i can't just keep i it, there's not too much more to say because i've, I've, I've kind of said it all and i don't want to i don't want to wear on you guys but it's absolutely worth checking out. It's just such a solid, solid film, uh, movie, sorry, show. But whatever, it, it feels like a movie. It, it's definitely got cinematic aspects to it that are that are very, very strong. And I, I really I can't recommend it enough. What I can recommend against, because I did promise I would talk about it, is The Terror Season 2, which um, is uh, not good. 
Um, currently, it's rated a around a seven point five on Metacritic. Uh, that's that's wrong. You, anyone that gave this a positive review is an idiot. No offense. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Not an idiot necessarily, but it's one of those people. I, I don't understand. Uh, the reviews have said that it was scary. Uh, that it's like a classic, classic horror tale done and done, 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 done and done right, which it absolutely is not. Um, so the, the, the terror season two, which is, it's called infamy, um, is based around, um, the, the Japanese internments of, of Japanese American internment camps in world war too. Uh, if you don't understand the, if you don't know what that is, uh, from another country or you're just a, a normal American and you just never learned that, uh, in world war two, um, post after the, uh, the day that we live in infamy, the Pearl, Pearl Harbor attacks, uh, Japanese American citizens were treated with disrespect and distrust because of, uh, a sort of nationwide misunderstanding of, how uh japanese people viewed um japan and the emperor and stuff uh they were thought to have an almost like religious love of of japan and the emperor which uh was not the case um with most of them i think they just like their old homeland as much as anyone that leaves for a better life might miss their own homeland um in in japanese culture the emperor uh is considered like a divine figure, but no more or less so than like the King of England is considered a divine, you know, like all Kings at some point decide like they, they, they wise up and say, actually, yeah, uh, God gave me my, (laughs) God gave me my, my, my right to rule. I I rule by, by divine consent. Uh, and it's that, and it, it was, it was completely blown out of, out of order. Um, I'm a Catholic. Well, I'm not really, I don't, I don't, I'm not religious anymore. Uh, I'm an atheist, but I was raised Catholic and actually Catholics. I found out way, way after, uh, were are, are even today considered, uh, like that, um, that, uh, Catholics obey the Pope before, before they obey like the, uh, the country that they're in. So like, you know, the, the will of God, the will of the Pope, and then the will of, of, of whatever local King, you have, which I guess probably was was more accurate in I don't know the fucking Middle Ages, but I've I've heard people suggest that that was the case in like 2019. I'm like, do you guys have you never met a fucking Catholic? <laughs> Even the most devout ones like use fucking Catholicism as a reason to just like not have to do shit <laughs> or to get away with doing shit. Uh. But the the terror season two is based around uh, the internment camps. It follows the the life and times of Chester Nakayama, who is played by Derek Mio. Chester is a second generation um, uh, Japanese American immigrant, as in his his father actually is from Japan, um, and he was I think. No, uh, he no, he was actually conceived in Japan uh, and then born there. But that, that's a that's a plot point that's borne out ha 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 uh, later in the show. Um, by the time it's already kind of sunk to the absolute depths of mediocrity. Um, the the plot basically is like it, 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 he's just a Japanese dude. Um, 
and then Pearl Harbor happens at like the end of the first or second episode and uh, it's hard for people to get work and there's a lot of distrust. Uh, there's a lot of white people taking advantage of Japanese people and looking like assholes. Um, the, the overall story about the internment camps is actually very interesting. It, it's, a better, it's a better story as a minor, semi-minor arc than the actual horror story <laughs> that is the major arc of the of the show, which is terrible. It is it is literally one of the worst uh, horror monsters I've I've ever seen in my life because she follows no rules. Her rule, okay, I'll, I'll, let me just back up. So the the major uh, antagonist in the show, other than racism, is uh, Bakamono, which is a a demon ghost uh if you've seen the grudge if you've seen the ring same fucking type of thing all right uh greasy black hair rotting skin white kind of deal and it's a uh, a grudge curse literally which is a, a pretty common thing uh in japanese folklore you know people die in a bad way or they get betrayed they curse someone and then uh you know take out wreak their vengeance on them from the afterlife. The bad thing about this, uh, isn't that, 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 that's perfectly fine. That's actually, I was stoked. I was like, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm down for a 10 episode grudge remake. That's, that's fine. Uh, but the thing is, is the, the monster is neither compelling nor monstrous, uh, nor interesting at all. Um, which is, which is crazy to say. I know the story starts off strong. The first episode is pretty good. Um, and then from there on, it gets it gets more and more dull until it it's borderline unwatchable by the last episode. Uh, it's it, it's very much a case. Well, not very much a case, but there's some light. What I would say, I would call it Ponzi, Ponzi writing, as in a Ponzi scheme, where you're like, well, we couldn't really we couldn't really pay off uh, with this one plot point, but let's introduce another plot point to keep the story going along while we just fucking mediocre right our way through the rest of this shit the horror monster uh who is i can't remember her name i don't even care uh she she's chester's biological mother who was betrayed by one of his neighbors um when she moved to america from japan she was already pregnant with chester and actually chester and his twin brother that he never met um and she was betrayed. She had to give up her kids. Uh, and then she eventually, so basically like her Chester's mom that raised him, not his biological mom, switched up the arranged marriages uh, so that she got to marry Chester's dad and uh, Chester's biological mom had to marry this guy who's a dick uh, and a wife beater type kind of guy. And when she showed up, she was already pregnant and he got really mad at her, which kind of makes sense because, you know, you're not supposed to be pregnant when you show up for your arranged marriage. <laughs> He's still a dick about it. He's unforgivably a dick about it, but it makes sense. Uh, and then she gives up her kids to nuns who treat her like a whore, uh, which is a thing that used to happen. And um, she kills herself. I, I can't remember why. Uh, she's just living. She's just poor and stuff. And, and that's hard. And so she just she kills herself because she doesn't have her kids anymore. And that allows her to become uh, a demon that it doesn't exist for like 30 fucking years for no real reason until Chester's a goddamn adult or for 20 years ish until Chester's a, a college age adult. 
Um, and then she starts wreaking her vengeance on on both his his family and the family that betrayed her. Just she basically just fucking like raw ass kills people for no fucking reason. Her her main attack is that she can possess people and make them do stuff, and they do little you know the little twitchy Japanese ghost walk where you 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 walk around like you're popping and locking, but not really. So they do that, and that's fun, and that's creepy, and it looks neat. Uh, and then they always end up killing themselves at the end. And she just kills everybody. <laughs> and and the, the problem with it is there is no way... She has no rules. So every time they're like, she can't do this, she just does the thing. And, and it's a common trope throughout the entire show that uh, she'll... They'll, they'll figure out a way to like maybe slow her down or stop her. And then she just says, no. Uno reverse. Uno reverse card. It, like, literally every fucking hand wave is the Uno reverse card of horror writing. It's just stupid as shit. Uh, she can, she gets a new power every time she has to do something for the plot. She can fucking do this. She can do that. She's, she, for some reason, she has to have her body near her, but then also sometimes she just doesn't. <laughs> Chester goes to Japan for a while during the fucking war and like is a translator uh and then she sends her body over there and just like scratches him and then he goes back home and she sends her body back and it's just it's just meandering and fucking uninteresting uh the guy that plays chester nakayama maybe he's in other stuff and he's a good actor he's not in this he's fucking boring the dude has like three facial expressions, all of which are like a variation of upset or concerned. <laughs> and um, the, the other minor plot that's going on is he has a kid and uh, the demon wants to steal his kid because it's him in her mind. And she wants to have both of her children and the afterlife. And so like, it's like, why don't you just fucking kill the kid then? And but no, she has to carry it around and she has to be like buried with it, but then she doesn't really, but then she does. And and there's all just all sorts of horseshit. And there's like just unexplained parts of the plot that just happen and then go away. Uh and they they randomly he 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 runs away and he lives with her uh his his fiance slash wife by the end slash girlfriend at the beginning. Uh, I can't remember her name, but she's she's Mexican American, and her family lives, I guess, in Southern California or something. I I don't I don't know. Because uh, he's I think he's in fucking Hawaii, and then he's not because uh, his family gets transferred, I think, to mainland America. It's it's it, like I can't remember these plot details because they just fucking happen like constantly. Like there's just like shit happens. Like oh yeah, and like most of the time it's just literally the main cast like. Something will happen and you don't even see it happen, but it'll be like somebody comes up. This is, this is the scene that is, this is terror season two scene after scene. Someone comes up. Did you hear the thing happened? And then that whole main cast will just stand around looking around like, why is there no more humanity left in humanity? Fucking George Takei is in the show. Don't is George Takei, uh, like first generation Japanese immigrant voice that I, I love because Je- George Takei is fucking amazing. But his his only part in this is that he is constantly just reacting to shit. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> Almost nobody does do anything. It, like, it's rare that anyone does a thing. You know what I mean? To, like, uh, move the plot forward. There's always someone 
sort of off screen, just juggling shit and making the next scene happen. Uh, you don't feel like the characters have a lot of agency because of that. And because their characters don't have agency, you don't give a fuck what they're doing. Like it's impossible to care about these characters because they, they, they're not even, they're not even really fleshed out. It, it's completely opposite of the terror season one. And it, it, it I don't know uh, why they made it there. There's, I swear to God, if you wanted to make a 10 episode series about, uh, just Japanese Americans living in these internment camps, I would be fucking down for it. Uh, the, the writing is so much worse in this than the first season. No, no one from the first season, from what I understand is on the second season. David Kedjganich is, has nothing to do with, uh, the tear season two. It was written by Alexander Wu, who, um, wrote a few episodes of true blood. That's he's, he's best known as a true blood writer, which is, kind of highly different level of quality writing <laughs> than than the fucking first season of the terror uh and max burnt berenstein borenstein max borenstein and uh max borenstein is the guy who wrote all of the the new godzilla reboot movies so okay <laughs> and you know i'm not knocking anybody you know what you take you take the work you're given uh but it's definitely a hindsight's 2020 thing. If you have told me that they were writing a horror movie, I'd have been like, I don't care. All right, fucking cool. True Blood and Godzilla. Uh, it, it better be about giant vampires. <laughs> fucking, that's their skill set, I guess. Uh, but no, they're like, no, we actually we want you guys to write a really like slow paced, cerebral, uh, deeply character driven horror. And they're like, okay, but what we can write is the Terror season two. And they're like, all right, well, we'll air it. I think actually what happened is those two dudes wrote infamy. I think it was called infamy, honest to God. Uh, and the people at AMC saw it and they were like, this is a fucking turd and no one's going to care about this fucking show, uh, because it's, it's boring and meandering and dumb. Let's attach it to the tear because we own that series and just say it's season two of the tear. Uh, and then we'll, we'll at least get people to watch it based on that. Like, well, won't all the people that watch it associate it with one of the best written 10 episode horror series uh, ever written? Like, yeah, and it'll probably be bad, but who gives a shit? We'll make money back on it. That's like AMC's like modus operandi. And I, I respect it, you know. Hey, man, I'm in the game. If you're not making money and fucking in, in entertainment, you're not making money. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's just going away. Um, but yeah, it, it's just. It's it, it's embarrassingly bad at points. Uh, to 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 like, cause if it was just its own show, I would give it like a clean six, you know, five or a six. Like it's not the worst thing ever, honestly. I'm I'm overreacting, but when you have the terror season one in your mind and you're thinking about that, and then all of a sudden you 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 have to compare it against the terror season two, which is just an in just ridiculously like boring and amateurish effort. Like it's, it's a night and day. It's, it's insane. It's you shouldn't have to compare a flank steak to a 99 cent cheeseburger from McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Like, like dude, this is filet mignon cooked by a fucking nine star Michelin restaurant. This is the height. This is the height of meat eating right here. 
what do you got to bring against us? Like, bro, I got a double quarter pounder from Wendy's. Like, all right. Uh, is it even good? No, I put onions on it. Don't you hate onions? I hate onions. Also, there's no cheese. <laughs> like, fuck off, dude. Oh my God. So it's not, it, it's not the worst thing ever. I keep saying that. I, I think I was just really, really mad at it because I was excited as fuck. I was like, hell yeah. J-Horror, written by the people from the terror. This is going to be fucking amazing. This is going to be like flat out fire. And like my, my, my hype and my, my, my passion for the possibilities of that project went sour and turned into just uh, impotent rage by the end of it. Um, and I, I don't really know what else to say. I, I would I, this, this one thing: when you have a horror universe, you have to have certain rules. You understand? Like, I know that doesn't make sense artistically. She's like, you don't want to have rules artistically. Yeah, yeah. But when you say I have rules artistically and you break those rules, you're breaking them for a reason. You're doing something intentionally. You don't understand? Like the rules of grammar when I'm writing are generally enforced. It's not like I'm obeying the rules because I have to. I'm obeying the rules because they're a good standard by which to operate. And then sometimes I break those rules. Why? Because uh, I'm writing a character who's who talks, uh, who, who's uneducated, or who likes to talk with a, a certain parlance that's grammatically incorrect. Or I, I'm writing, you know, a chunk of... of, of dialogue that's you know you're you're experiencing some sort of trippy out of body experience so i've stripped out all of the punctuation or um you know i've mixed up the order of words so that they sound off things like that That, that, that's that's when you're breaking the rules but in this case like their their creature does not follow any rules like and there are rules established for it that are either like hand waved or ignored or and stuff like that like you if your if your creature has a, a power or an ability, usually the point of the story is to figure out that ability, or to figure out a weakness associated with that ability, and then to like fling it back in the creature's face or or overcome that. Do you understand? Like, uh, what's a good one? What's an obvious one? Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger can attack you when you're asleep. So when you're awake, Freddy can't attack you. And that's the rule for the entirety of Nightmare on Elm Street until it's broken because of a reason associated with the rule. The rules change organically because if you grab Freddy Krueger, anything that you're, you're holding on to in the dream, when you wake up, you can pull out of the dream. They discover that breaking of the rule and then that allows the rule to be broken in the future. That's good horror writing. That's Wes fucking Craven. And you know, like you, you play around with that because if you, if your character, if your, 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 your villain or even your, your, your hero character doesn't have rules, if they don't have strengths and weaknesses, uh, then you're never, you, you'll detach the audience's interest in this character. Like if, if Captain America just had fucking laser vision all of a sudden, you'd be like, why the fuck does Captain America have laser vision? That just to solve a problem in the plot that's fucking that's weak as shit like uh, jason from friday the 13th cannot jump 30 feet in the air so you know if he if he chases somebody and they climb up onto the roof of a house and throw down the ladder he's got to solve that problem and you know 
that's when you're the, the horror character gets agency too. And because the horror age, the horror character is overcoming its own struggles, it makes it scarier. So like if, when you see the lady, the girl kick down a, a ladder, and I, I don't think this actually happens in a, in a Friday the 13th. I'm just using it as an example. She kicks the ladder down behind her and it, and it falls into a ravine and you see Jason like look down at it and then look up at her and she's like, fucking thank God, you know, taking a breath. And then you see him like walk around the side of the house and he's looking up and there's that nice long scene. Cause that's that people understand that that's a, that's an inherent thing when the predator that's hunting you has to figure out how to undo what you did to it. It makes it so much more dangerous. And then he, I don't know, it's Jason. So he's going to do something ridiculous. He just starts chopping the fucking support out of the roof and the roof goes and the girl's like, Oh shit. And then she chops out the other support and the fucking roof collapses until it's like the, the side is on the ground and she's ah and sliding, bumping down the, down the roof. And then Jason's at the, he's overcome her thing. And she's got to go like, fuck, what the fuck do I do now? Runs up the roof, jumps into a tree. Right. And then you know that you're not going to be safe in the tree because it's fucking Jason. He's going to come shake the trees and shit. That's what makes the fucking horror villain. If every time your villain gets up against a, a fucking a, a problem, it gets a new power. It, it's not cool. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can't fight back against it and it can't fight against you, there is no competition. There's no matchup. You're just watching some horse shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's kind of hard to describe past that because it sounds like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. But in that same situation, if like you knock down that, like instead of knocking down that roof and doing something that's, you know, overcoming it, Jason just jumps up onto the roof at, at best that can be played comedically. Honestly, as a comedic scene, that would be fucking hilarious. He just goes, boom, <laughs> just hops up onto the roof. But then you're like, well, fuck, what, how am I going to run from what run away from you now? Like, if you can solve that problem like that, then why didn't you just kill me earlier? You know, like, like the, 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 the thoughtful reader, the thoughtful listener, the thoughtful viewer is going to be like, well, then why the fuck didn't you just do that before? Like, eat shit, man. What, you fucking didn't realize that you can Kobe up onto the top of fucking buildings? And it's very much the case in Infamy with goddamn Ukyo, who can, she can fucking almost, I think she can fucking teleport uh, she can go into the ghost dimension and have kids in there and she can sort of drag people in at some point there's uh fucking Chester's uh, Mexican American family that he marries into. They have like native Mexican bush wizardry that they can do to fucking like make you go to the ghost realm. If you have a photo of somebody, you can see them. And, and so that becomes a major plot, like out of nowhere, like you had all the stuff that you needed from the beginning. What does she do? She can possess anybody. That's fucking weird. How about she can only possess Japanese people because they're from Japan? Or how about she can only possess people with a guilty heart or she can only possess people uh, that are blood related to her. That's even better. Cause now we have a connection to the old country that actually makes sense. Like if you're, if you're, if you're within a generation of her or she can only possess people who have touched a comb that's in her hair. And so she has to do that. Then you have her actually interacting with the cast in a meaningful way. Instead of every fucking episode, there's just some guy that starts going twitch, 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 and fucking kills himself or unlocks the door. You know, there's a lot of like unlocking of doors and type of stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, we're safe from her in here. 
and then someone like looks at them and just goes click I'm like oh what you're the fucking ghost now what like fuck seriously can anyone not be the ghost <laughs> like, like, like everybody gets possessed by her at some point and it's it's to the point where it's like why if she if she can do it from any fucking distance like her body has to sort of just be i guess in the country you know like no one has to like touch the body they'll just be walking and they'll go ah, and like get possessed <laughs> uh it, it just makes no fucking sense and it, it it really that above most things that and like the weirdly the weirdly like bad acting from uh some of the main cast all of the 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 japanese people in the the camp are fucking great uh the guy who plays chester's dad is a fucking wonderful actor who is literally working with a terrible script at points that like there his character never is not a character his character is a uh is just a dad his character is i am i am chester's father and i'm going to do father things around chester it's very much the opposite of crozier if like if crozier was just like i'm going to do captain things now i won't have like a backstory i won't have any any sort of like real centered character development that that you can like base your your compass off of like at the beginning of it he's supposed to be understood to be like a forgiving honest uh man who's just trying to do his best for his family but then he just randomly becomes like petulant and and uh and standoffish at parts and then he's just not that again and then he just is that again and it makes no fucking sense like it, it makes the character seem like bipolar to a certain degree uh, very much the same thing with the with the, the the ghost character is at at different times in a smaller way, an affliction of the regular cast's characterizations where people people just decide to be a certain way because it's it's fucking Ponzi scheme writing. We're like, well, we need something to move on to the next scene, and like if I stick that if I keep this character being the smart. In ingeni- like ingenious, smart, like crafty person that she is, she's just going to solve this problem. So I need to make her fucking stupid. I need her to make her do do something ridiculous. I need to just arbitrarily kill this character because this character can just solve all of the problems because I fucking accidentally wrote in somebody that's too competent. Uh, and that's 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 just the case, and it's not the case with David Kedganich's writing. Kedganich is a fucking monster, dude. I like anything that dude makes. The guy that wrote season one of the Terror from now on, I'm fucking I'm on board for. He's 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 solid. Um, and I think I'm gonna wrap up making fun of Infamy after that. Uh, the, the worst part about it is there's there's the potential to tell a very good, a very very good, and a very important story in there. Um, to my knowledge, there's not. I can't I can't think of a big name production uh that deals with the the Japanese American internment camps in World War II which is I it, I didn't fucking even know that that happened until after I graduated high school and uh Mr. Han from fucking Lincoln Park Mike Han uh released a a, a what do you call it a, a song he, he, there's a rap song that he wrote about his grandparents I think or maybe it's his dad was in one of those internment camps uh, out of out of California when he was when he was a, a young man, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" He was like, "What the fuck is Mike Hahn talking about?" They were fucking 
Japanese Americans in fucking internment camps in America. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, fucking what? <laughs> that, that fucking happened? For real? Like, we were just, like, caging American citizens. That's, that's bonkers. It's extra bonkers because I'm from a fucking German neighborhood. Like, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. We're German as fuck, dude. And no one was throwing us into camps. <laughs> like, arguably between the Japanese and the Germans in World War II, the Germans are way fucking shittier. Way fucking shittier. But we didn't lock up, we didn't lock up any fucking German Americans. They're everywhere. They're all over fucking Cincinnati, as far as I know. Uh, and if we did do it, we definitely didn't do it in mass. This is where I'm going to get the fucking, I'm going to get the email where like, actually there was like 6 million American, German Americans <laughs> put into camps. I don't really think that's the case, but uh, no, the, 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 if you don't understand this, the, yes, uh, Japanese citizens were stripped of their property. They were stripped of their rights and put in these internment camps. And not only were they put into the internment camps, but once the war basically wound down and we knew we were going to, we were going to win it and we started letting them out of the camps. We just let them go, but we did not recuperate them for fucking shit. So like men lost businesses that they had worked their entire lives to put together because when they got put into the internment camp, people just fucking moved into their house or moved into their business and like squatter squatter lawed them out of their property. People were fucking robbed blind while they were gone people's fucking bank accounts were emptied like literally like we fucking stripped americans of everything that they fucking owned like because of some fucking harebrained idea that because they were from japan they were suddenly going to to fucking like try to fifth column our entire country out of existence (laughs) based on based on no evidence no evidence like Honestly, like, yeah, obviously, like, you should go and check out anybody that is, like, a first or second generation immigrant with really, really strong ties to an enemy nation, especially, like, if they are in shipping or something, but you should just check them out. Like, like, hey, man, we're at war. I've got to investigate you, so I'm going to check you out, and, you know, if you're clean, you're clean, and if you're not, you're not. That's one of those fucked up things that you've got to do during war. You do not fucking round up everybody with almond shaped eyes and straight black hair and throw them into a fucking camp because you can just you can much more easily separate them from the general population than you can the first and second generation german immigrants that grew up where i grew up those guys got to be like no i fuck germany i'm gonna go smash germany's shit in like kurt Kurt vonnegut should have been in a fucking camp you know what i'm saying (laughs) like what the fuck Oh my God. Uh, it, it's just, it blows my mind. Um, and I, I've, I really feel like we're overdue for a really, really good story about that. Um, George Takei has a play in New York that's based on it. I don't know anything about it because I'll probably never be able to see it because plays that aren't the six musicals that exist forever in, in New York go away by the time I get to go back to New York on the occasions that they get to go. But uh, if it comes to your town, check it out. Give them, give them some support about that. Look it up online. Anything that I was wrong about, please feel free to correct me. Make your own podcasts and movies and, and, and teach people about all of the things that I was not able to teach them about during the entirety of this podcast. All that said, I'm going to wrap the, uh, I'm going to wrap the episode here. 
Like I said, hop on Facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. Hit me up. Tell me what I was wrong about. Argue with me. Correct me. Help me fill in the blanks and my 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 stuff. Did you actually like Tear Infamy? Tear Season 2? Did you think that was good? Did you hate Tear Season 1? Do you not like books? Go to the West Side. Actually, if you go, if you don't like go if you don't like books, don't go to the fucking horror and lit club. Uh, well, actually, maybe go there and maybe somebody will change your mind. But go to West Side Fairy Tales or Facebook.com slash West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. Join up. Follow us just on Facebook, West Side Fairy Tales. We're on Instagram, West Side Fairy Tales, on Twitter at WS Fairy Tales. Check out WestsideFairyTales.com. If you if you haven't been there yet, if you're just listening to this normally, uh, if you go to westsidefairytales.com, we've got merchandise there. You can help support the show by buying a t-shirt. You can buy a sticker. You can buy a signed poster, and I'll write whatever you want on it, so long as it's not some sort of like insane racist shit. I don't care. I'll write. I'll 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 write. Tyler Bell is a fucking terrible writer, and I'll sign it and I'll send it to you. But you got to pay for it, bro. You got to pay for it. <laughs> If you just want to give me some money and get access to episodes like this uh, and the regular feed episode early, go on to Patreon, patreon.com slash Tales. For just a dollar, you get early access to the episodes. For five bucks, you can hear me ramble like this even more in our exclusive behind the story episodes where I go into my motivations and kind of what I was thinking before I wrote the regular story episodes and how they connect to the greater West Side Fairy Tales universe canon. Uh, and then after if 10 bucks and more, man, we're going to send you like free bookmarks, free stick. Well, they're not really free, but we're going to send you without you having to pay extra money, <laughs> stickers, bookmarks. You're going to get uh PDFs actually at $5. You get PDFs of the, uh, the regular stories, but sign posters at $20, 50 bucks. I will, I will lay out print and message and sign your favorite West side fairy tales story for you and send that out to you so that's also a really cool benefit so hop on over there patreon.com slash westside fairy tales in two weeks i hope you're going to join us for our next story uh well it might not be two weeks from now but it's it's, it's going to be about two weeks uh i can never remember how calendars work um but it's going to be the first friday of february join us for our next regular episode story episode ojo's Oscuros, in which a young Mexican girl living in the Guadalajara Highlands as an agave farmer finds herself making a deal with a demon that lives underneath her house. And until then, as always, stay safe out there. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. 
Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.